Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. Today, we are joined by Shannon Robnett. Shannon is a 30-year experienced contractor building anything from industrial to multifamily to flex space. Shannon has been in construction for over 30 years and in the last four years has become a syndicator after realizing that his clients that he was building these properties for were able to retain the long-term wealth and passive revenue from these projects. Shannon and I are going to talk about the current market and how you should vet a sponsor as a limited partner as well as if you want to be a general partner, how do you build your resume? How do you get that experience? And how do you take the next step into the syndication world? Now let's welcome Shannon Robnett. All right. Shannon Robnett, welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to get into not necessarily a deal specifically, but how to create your resume, build your resume, as well as vet sponsors that you may be partnering with. Shannon, before we get into that, I do want to take a minute and talk about who Shannon Robnett is and how you got 30 years of experience under your belt this far. Well, thank you, Trent. I appreciate you having me on. You know, I um, I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a builder and a developer. My mother was a third generation realtor. And I grew up in the typical rich dad, poor dad, you know, the little purple book. I mean, I, I grew up with people that never had any money, you know. I couldn't figure it out, but you know, they always had these buildings we had to go work on in the summer and and all this stuff and I heard conversations about 1031s at the dinner table and I didn't really realize the environment I grew up in until I attempted to go to college and I realized that I had another uh 7 semesters of, you know, this to get a degree in in something where I could go work for somebody and and I was watching my brother uh, right out of high school make about 55 grand a year in 1993, 94, you know, building houses. And so I decided that, you know what, uh, let's not let this legacy go to waste. And I went into built a couple of houses. I realized very quickly I didn't like homeowners. And so I, I pivoted that business to go into the commercial side. I built police stations, fire stations, schools, medical facilities, industrial complexes, multifamily you know, just about everything that you can. And um, I was still not really liking what I was doing. And the fact that every time I got done with the job, I stopped getting paid, Trent. I mean, it really was kind of, you know, this thing of of you go out and you, you bust your hump and you get it done for the guys. And um, 
and then they get to make the long-term money on it, right? They, they've got the tenants, they've got the revenue. And I watched as my parents in 2001 retired on cash flow from their real estate portfolio that they had built over the years. And um, I, I realized that was where it was at. You know, It was about creating something that I was very capable of doing and then retaining it for the long-term. So in 2001, I built my first industrial complex. Uh, two of the original tenants are still there 22 years, 23 years later. And I began to take on partners. Uh, I, I, I'd bring a doctor in, we'd do a deal, we'd make some money, you know, because I saw that that was kind of the way it, uh, to, to make it happen because I had more opportunity than I had actual capital myself. And in 2017, I finished a 180-unit apartment complex with a single partner. Uh, it was a family office that brought $19 million to the table. And um, the family office disbanded. And I'd lost my capital source. And I had this huge problem because I had three other apartment complexes lined up behind that. And so in late 2018 or 2009, yeah, early 2019, I pivoted and started actually syndicating deals uh, myself. And I learned that from a guy who had grown up in the in the uh, movie industry and that's how they syndicate capital in in Hollywood. And so I've been syndicating now for about 4 years. We've raised uh, almost 65 million dollars getting ready to head into another 16 million dollar raise in uh 2024 for our first of 3. And um it's it's been kind of a a confluence of of a construction background and the need for more capital that's that's led me to the place I'm at. And we currently have two apartment complexes under con, uh, under construction, an industrial facility in Florida that's being built. We've got deals from Florida to Washington, and we currently manage about $130 million worth of uh, assets. You know, your, your, I guess, transition is not what I'm accustomed to hearing about on this on this show specifically. <laughs> Most of the time, people start with the single family and then they want to graduate into to the other asset classes. But for someone that's in construction, I mean, you obviously went from single family to commercial to still commercial and retaining that equity yourself. At what point? I mean, I know I know you kind of touched on it, but at what point did you really see? The uh, I guess the returns or the upside that the, your clients that you were building for were getting, and was there a specific situation or deal that that really spoke to you and said, "Hey, I just finished this building for this company or this group, and I'm guessing these are their numbers. This makes a lot of sense." Or were you specifically or strictly looking for just building long term, more passive income and wealth? You know. I think it was actually, and my mom's going to laugh, but I think it was actually my parents, you know, uh, the reason she'll laugh is because there were so many things that I said that were contrary to, I never want to, you know, kind of along the lines of, I never, I never want to grow up and be a builder. I never want to do this stuff, but I watched it 50 years old, Trent, they walked away. I mean, they had enough money coming in every single month that they could stop doing the daily and in, in their defense, my mom didn't hang up her real estate broker's license until she was 72 years old. Uh, she still had an active firm and and I think 47 agents when she finally pulled the pin on that. But but they their lifestyle has not changed. You know, in the 25 years that they've been practicing retirement and they're finally getting good at it, they they've had an increase every year because of rents, right? Every time we see inflation go up, so does the rent. 
And at that point, when I saw that, hey, these guys worked really, really hard for 30 years and put themselves in a position to do something different, to do what they want after 30 years of hard work and scraping and holding on and 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 building more and selling one, I think that's really kind of what did it that that made me understand that I needed to convert from a build to you know a, a contract builder to somebody that was that was doing stuff for myself and my partners. And and at first I I tried to do it myself. I scraped together all the cash I had, you know, trying to eat the whole pie myself. And then I realized I needed, in order to to take on some of these projects, I needed some outside capital. And for that, I was going to have to give up part of that ownership structure. And and we said we were going to talk about resume. Obviously, you had a resume in construction. How did that correlate or translate into when you actually needed to raise capital and wanted to start partnering on, on deals? Well, you know, there's two sides to resume. One is the resume itself, what you've physically done. And the other is the posture and the attitude and um, the the way that you're approaching that. And, you know, for me, the first deal I did on my own to raise capital was, um, was I, I was trying to raise $1.8 million. And it took me almost six months to do it. And I definitely had the resume, right? I mean, $450 million in construction, you know, I mean, the complexity of some of the things we've done uh, far outweighed what we were trying to do at that point. It was just a little 36 unit apartment complex. But what I had on paper was 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 good, but what I was lacking was what I was asking for, right? And one of the things that I did early on that was a mistake is I kept asking people to help me. And people will help you change a tire or maybe mow your lawn or, you know, stop by and pick up the mail while you're out of town. But people don't want to help you with financial stuff, right? And and when I, when I really understood that, that I wasn't asking them for help, I was presenting an opportunity, right? And I was presenting an opportunity that my resume said I had done many times. And when I got a hold of that and I understood that, everything changed. I, I took seven, almost uh, seven months to raise that first 1.8. You know, four years later, we've raised over 65 million. Shortly after that uh, project was underway, we turned right around and raised 10 million. But the but the message had changed, right? Yeah, and I I definitely want to echo what you just said there because I think that's a very important trait or or thing realization that people need to have when you are transitioning into an operator sponsor. If you're going to get into syndication, you have to realize that you don't need help from these people and your investors. You're presenting an opportunity. And if you've underwritten it correctly and you know what you're doing, that opportunity should almost sell itself. If, yeah. you know, if, if as long as the opportunity and you're transparent and honest and all the other good traits that you need to have. Let's talk about the side of the resume that we're, we're kind of talking about right now with the you you wanting to raise capital, you raising capital, you needing to raise capital on these deals. You've said it's gotten easier. Obviously, you've raised $65 million in the last four years, and it took seven months to raise 1.8. After realizing the opportunities that you were presenting themselves, did you have a switch in the clientele or the investors that you were targeting? Or have they always remained that family office style investor uh, since you began? Actually, the family office was was kind of an anomaly. Uh, most of our investors are retail investors. They're they're just regular people 
that we meet at conferences, we find in Facebook groups that find us on our website. But, you know, the the thing I think that that we looked at is how can we be relatable? You know, I mean, you know, most people get involved in real estate because of a couple of different reasons, but they they go about it buying themselves another job. You know, they understand that they they want rental income, so they go buy a rental house. They're going to save a few bucks. They're going to be the property manager. You know, two miserable years later, you know, they've been out at the property every other weekend. They've figured out through watching Google how to replace a hot water heater, something they never wanted to know. 17 trips to the Home Depot store, you know, all these kind of stories and they and they get frustrated. And the reality of all of that is if you look at what you're trying to accomplish, there's there's other ways to do it. And being a limited partner is an excellent way. But the other side that I've seen a lot of is a lot of people come into my organization as limited partners wanting to know more. And I have a real, real open format that, look, if you're wanting to be an LP with me and you want to see the books and you want to know how it's done and you want to come on the job sites and you want to be a part of all of that, you're welcome to do that. You bought that right. By being part of that limited partnership, you're limited in liability, but you're not limited in experience. You're welcome to come into that. And we've had several of our limited partners come along to the point that they are now syndicating on their own. They've learned uh, they've partnered with us on deals. They've been able to make that transition because they've taken the pieces of the puzzle that they know and understand, and they've become important to important people that have the pieces that they don't. I think that's another that's another great great piece that you just mentioned because a lot of limited partners, you know, they may be referred to their sponsors that they invest with or, or what have you, or find them in Facebook groups, but. One thing that I've seen is as a limited partner, if you invest with a good sponsor as your first sponsor, you just kind of expect that level of service and performance. But if you go and, and diversify and invest with a different sponsor or sponsors that may not be as as well-versed and the deal goes south, you lose money learning that, that I guess, yeah. you, you, that experience, right? Right. How how can a limited partner that you know maybe invests with you, how can they really know if they've never invested with anyone else? How how do you teach them? Do you help them know when a, a sponsor may not be as great as as yourself? Well, and and listen, I'm I'm not that great. I've just been doing it a long time, and I've learned from a lot of mistakes. And I think that. You know, I think that the road of real estate is not something you're born good at. You know, I think that you you learn either you learn by hiring people that have taken those hits, or you learn by working with people that have taken those hits, or you personally stand there and take those hits. But you know, one of the first things that we always want people to understand before they invest with us with us is the underwriting. Underwriting is is key to everything. Before you can even have the opportunity to execute a business plan, you need to know that your your fundamentals work. You need to know that that everything that you're backstopping this on is real. And I know that over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of people that got into real estate in eighteen or nineteen, and they they don't understand that cap rates aren't always sub four. You know, they're not always going to get a three percent loan. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. 
Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through off-site professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. And if you're doing a value add, what is your backstop to the, the financing that's coming in down the road? You know, we've got an exit happening next month on a 190-unit apartment complex. And I pulled up the underwriting from 2019. And I had I had hypothesized that we would exit at a 575 cap with with uh, six and three quarter interest. And my rents are about five hundred dollars a month higher than I anticipated. And my cap rate, my appraisal just came back and my cap rate was contemplated to be between a five and a half and a five seven five. The interest rate out there right now for commercial is a 7%. And so while I'm under on the commercial lending at the time, my experience in the times that I've done these and I've come to the end of it and I needed to do a cash injection are painful. And so I, regardless of what interest rates I could have gotten at the time, I've never updated those. I've never come back in and said, hey guys, we're going to we're going to be able to sell this at a four cap and we're going to be able to, you know, they're going to be able to get a two and a half percent interest rate. So there's going to be all this money to be made and we will still make very good money. We will still make incredible money because the things that have happened, we executed the business plan, the rents are up, everything is doing well, but we didn't miss that because we got over enthusiastic. And I don't think that a lot of the sponsors out there that are maybe having some difficulties were malicious. I just think that they were malinformed. Yeah, we. I was actually diving into that that whole thing uh, the, over the last few days about the underwriting flaws or mishaps when it came to high leverage, high volatility on your rates and your debt and everything like that, and and how that's impacted some of these people out there right now. Yeah, when it comes to, I guess, and that and that's what kind of led me to ask you this question is, I have seen other sponsors get into some hot water lately. And as a limited partner, if you're getting a capital call just to retain your position or your equity position in that deal, I, I guess, how, how do you approach that? If you were going to talk with a limited partner that said, Shannon, I need some advice here. My, my, my sponsor is asking for more money just to retain my equity position. Uh, how should I feel about this? And is there anything I should, should have known or should do differently next time when I am looking at investing as a limited partner? Well, I think the first thing you need to understand is, okay, um, there's a capital call. Why is the capital call, right? I mean, so let's just say that you're going to a $50,000 college class at this point, right? I mean, you've got, a, you've got the money out. Uh, you need to come up with another 50 to take the second semester. What are you going to learn, right? So, so what caused the problem, Chuck? You know, Why are we sitting here with this kind of a conversation happening? Well, you know, we did this, we did this, we did this, but we didn't anticipate this. We didn't anticipate this. 
and try and draw some conclusions from that. Because the reality is you may lose your money, right? That's that's always the, the reality of investing of any kind. Mm-hmm. But why? You know, was it because somebody was enthusiastic and said, hey, you know, we're going to buy this apartment complex. We're going to we're going to increase rents. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then we're going to get a 4% loan. And now we've only got 7% loans available. And the DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, is forcing us to bring in another $30 million. What is happening to this scenario? And get an understanding for that. Because you're in that position quite possibly because you didn't understand what could have happened the first time, right? If you would have looked at that, and let's just, we're going to have to make a few assumptions here, Trent, but let's just assume that it's because they were assuming that they were going to get that 4% interest, right? Well, now that interest isn't available. The debt service coverage ratio is demanding higher capital uh, in the deal. And now what's the new business plan? Are we going to hold this for five years? Are we getting fixed money at this point? Because the variable money was what got us in this problem. Or are we going again for a variable rate, short-term debt? What are we doing that, that could put me at risk again? So that at, at, at this juncture, you may be sunk on your first investment, but that doesn't mean that you just blindly throw another 50 grand or 100 grand at the deal to save the first. That's throwing good money after bad, right? The reality is you're now at a crossroads that as painful as it is, you may need to look at that first investment as a total loss. But look at the second investment as something that you need to totally understand, and then you need to verify, right? There's always that saying, trust but verify, right? The sponsor comes back. There was an error in the calculations before. Things aren't the same as what they thought. The vacancy rate's higher. Maybe they're not getting the rents. Whatever the case may be, cost overruns, whatever that is. Why did that happen? And are other people in that same market having that problem? If the answer is no, other people are not having that problem, maybe it's a sponsor-related issue. If other people in that market are having that problem, what are they doing to mitigate that problem? Are they doing the same thing as my sponsor is doing? And, and, and then maybe I have some, some, um, some feeling of trust with that? Or are we in a situation where somebody is doing something, again, cavalier? trying to save this, put, painting a rosy picture. They're saying, hey, we're going to hold this for another 24 months. Then we're going to flip it and we're going to get out of it. And, and we're going to be back up to our original amount. right? And so there's, there's a lot of questions there. but And I think that a lot of people, and it happens in every market cycle, people get involved. I mean, how many people bought Tesla because they knew Tesla was going to double? Not because Tesla has sound fundamentals, right? Because Tesla was going to double, and then that didn't work out, or it did, and they and then they doubled that down into something else, and then they bought Enron, you know. Um, but uh, you know, there's just reasons you need to understand why did this happen, and understanding why it happened may be a very expensive lesson, but it'll be a, a big red flag when you see something like that in the future, and then totally understanding okay, that incident happened, but what is going to happen next? And am I willing to bet another 50 grand or another investment with this person to salvage what I have? Is there any salvaging it? And if not, what is going to prevent this from happening again? You make a lot of good points there. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier, where 
a sponsor has a resume from experience, but then they also have a resume from, I guess, this side of the business when it comes to handling the adversity, handling uh, market shifts and and things of that nature. I want to I want to ask you real quick about the current market and and the shift that we've seen over the last twelve to eighteen months, uh, specifically when it comes to financing. And again, I, I've I've kind of dove into this over the last few weeks, but a lot of people utilized variable debt. You know, if they didn't get rate caps on it, that is that could lead to some, some challenges. If you were going to go, you know, buy it buy a new deal right now or or you had a deal that was was in trouble and you needed to get fresh debt on it or 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 basically make the deal work what kind of what kind of financing would you be looking at in the current market that we have here as a sponsor um well you- construction debt is always higher than um what fixed rate debt and so you know what we look at I'll give you an example we bought a deal in Houston uh last year and uh, it was a it was a 2020 built COVID filled industrial complex, and I love industrial and inflationary markets for a lot of reasons. But the the debt we as, were able to assume was four percent money that had a nine year window on it. Our business plan is a five to seven year business plan, right? So I've got runway beyond what I projected to my investors. Should we get to that five to seven year window and the market's not right to sell? Right. I'm not putting myself in a situation where, hey guys, we're going to hold on to this for 36 months. I got 36 month debt. Right. That's where people get into trouble because, like now, they have notes being called due because they are because of what was supposed to happen didn't quite happen. And now they're forced to do something where they've, by their financing, have backed themselves into a corner. Right. I know a lot of people went for, a juicier return by getting uh, floating rate debt or by getting shorter debt, right? I like to buy uh, 10-year debt on five-year deals. I mean, look, I can always go back to my investors and say, hey, guys, uh, we could have squeezed uh, three-eighths of a point out of this loan. And on, the, on, a, on a $20 million loan, we, we, we wasted, we could call it waste or we could call it insurance, but we spent an extra over the five-year life of this deal on three-eighths of a point. The good news is I'll be able to make a very accurate determination of whether that was insurance or waste at five years. And I think a lot of people treated it that it, it, it was something that all we were concerned about was total IRR and return and not looking at safety and and prudence. Yeah, I, I think... We had a we had a quarterly meeting, so we were talking about what our investors expect, and one of the things that we talked about was safety of their investment. How important do you think safety is? And I think I might know the answer already, but how do, important do you think safety is for an LP as they are looking at your underwriting and thinking about investing with you? Well, that's obviously a topic that has become more and more uh, crucial, but I think it got overlooked a lot. The first thing you need to look at is return of capital. And then you need to look at what the return on capital is. And so the first question you're going to want to ask a sponsor is, what kind of guarantees, and nobody can guarantee anything, but what kind of safeguards do you have built into this deal to get a return of capital? And then beyond that, how do you anticipate giving me a return on that capital? So I want a return of capital. 
because I'd rather make nothing and get my money back than not get my money back, right? I mean, that's an obvious one. But from there, you're looking at what what does that return cost me? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that have lost money lately that would take a 7% return today to have had the prudence of capital that a 7% return would give instead of shooting for the 20% returns that nobody, you know, uh, nobody paid attention to what the backlash could be or what the potential downfall of getting that 24-month debt on an 18-month remodel, you know, and and going that route, you know. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the same conversation that we had at our meeting was the safety for an, a limited partner investor right now is is arguably the most important aspect of a deal. And and what are we doing? What are sponsors doing to protect their investment and make sure that uh, that is a high priority for, mm-hmm. for us as, as general partners or sponsors? Well, and I think it also s- speaks a lot to the experience of the, the general partner, right? I mean, there was we saw a lot of this where people were competing for IRR as general partners. You know, I've got a 21 IRR penciled in. I've got a 22. I've got a I've got a 30% IRR, right? Mm-hmm. IRRs in in underwriting are projections, you know, but what's your backup plan? It's like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah. Well, he says everybody's got a plan until they get punched <laughs> in the face. But I hope Mike Tyson doesn't see this. <laughs> yeah, uh, you might get punched in the face. <laughs> I'm gonna get punched in the face. But the reality is also that everybody has an underwriting model until the market changes. And the one thing we know about markets is that they're cyclical, right? I mean, we're going through a market constriction right now where where financing is still available, but terms have changed. Um, we've seen I, I've seen forty uh, percent of the fifty percent of the construction projects that were online for last year didn't go, got pushed out at a twenty four, and probably eighty percent of construction projects are being pushed off indefinitely now because of the lending market, which is going to cause a constriction in the supply, which is going to cause an escalation in the rent, right? So we're going to, I mean, we're going through these cycles and we never really hit an oversupply spot. So we've got pressure from all sides and it's going to get funky for sure. But how are you going to handle it? How are you going to navigate that? Where are your reserves to deal with this? What happens if contractors are late? What happens if COVID happens? You know, are we going to have 2.0? What are you going to do to mitigate that? You know, and there's a lot of people that are now trying to evaluate things that experience would have told them they should have evaluated the first time. The unfortunate problem is their LPs and their capital are experiencing the pain of that revelation. So I guess the last the last topic I want to talk about real quick is as a as a newer sponsor, someone that may be looking to go from LP to GP or someone that just wants to get to that GP role uh, out the gate. How do you partner with experienced people to in order to understand the underwriting and and understand these these trials and tribulations that may present themselves if you are someone that is newer to the sponsor side of the syndication world you know i i think that there's a lot of people wanting to get in too quickly i think there's a lot of people that want to that want to run before they can walk and there's nothing wrong with that i'm not saying that there aren't some carl lewises out there but what i'm saying is it's and I said it before. It's important to be important to important people, right? Be important to them, help them, be a part of a syndication, 
Find out how you can get involved with the inner workings. Be an intern. Get that experience so that you know what kind of phone calls they're fielding. You know what kind of, you know, what kind of debt uh, conversations they're having, that what kind of equity conversations they're having. Be available to experience that so that we can learn that, right? There's no, there's no need to go out there and learn with other people's $10 million that maybe you don't have the stomach for this. Maybe you don't have the negotiating skills for this. Maybe you don't have the ability to drive a schedule like you think, right? And there's a lot of people that have a lot of connections that are getting involved in the general partner world because they can get the capital. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good operators. And there's a lot that you can learn from other people by watching what they do and being involved in what they do. So if you're new to this, and let's say you've got a, a small portfolio yourself, it's time to level up your game. I would find somebody that you trust, somebody that you've vetted, that you have the background for, because you're going to be pledging all of your contacts to this person. You're going to be talking to Jim and Sally and Sarah and, and Paul about Chuck and all the great things he's done, but then find a way to be involved in his deal. He's found it. He's underwritten it. Why do you like this? What are your exit plans? Help me learn that conversation so that I can then have that conversation with my group, and then we can bring capital to the deal. And that's not enough. As the SEC says, you can't just be a capital provider. You have to be a provider of service. You have to be involved in the deal. And so what is your involvement in the deal? Is it you're going to write the newsletter about the deal? You're going to do the physical inspections? You're going to meet with the property management company? What is it you're going to take on as a role that is going to give you that deeper understanding? So now you're putting you and your friend's money where your mouth and your efforts are, and that will build your resume. So now you're looking at it going, hey, maybe I can only raise a million bucks. I got 10 friends that trust me with a hundred grand, right? Because people invest with people they know, like, and trust, but they don't, they don't want to invest with somebody that's brand new. So if Chuck's doing a $40 million deal and he needs $15 million in capital, and you can come in with a million or, or two million of that and be a part of that team, then now that $40 million deal and Chuck go on your resume. So now you can say my partner with 30 years of experience, $10 million of uh, this or that or whatever, this all becomes part of you. And, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, and they want to go straight to the point where they're the guy. And it's always great to be the guy when you're on the winning team. But it's tough to be the guy when stuff starts to go wrong. And, and we're, we're starting to see some of that where experience counts. And those that are trying to make the decision aren't experienced at that particular situation. Yeah. And, and I want to echo that real quick, because at the uh, best ever conference last year, our team went down there and we talked with a lot of people and, and the, the newer sponsors or, or general partners did exactly what you just said. They, you know, they learned from experience. They were able to raise capital and be a part of the deal, learn firsthand from people that have done it before. And they get that, that workout of flexing their capital raising mus muscle, which, you know, you can't do deals if you don't have capital. So I think that's a great way to learn how to raise capital as well as get the firsthand experience from experienced sponsors um, yeah. as you, as you are developing your resume. Well, that is uh that's kind of the questions and the topics I wanted to discuss today, Shannon. Did I miss anything that you wanted to touch on? 
No, you know what, Trent? I'm just uh, having gone through 2008 and and seeing what happened there. You know, my goal is to is to you know talk with people like yourself to start the conversations to help make a more intelligent investor. And I really want to say thank you to you for putting on this podcast because it's it's an effort. There's a lot of work that goes into this, but putting out the information that people can get their hands on, that people can learn before they have to put their hard-earned money behind it, uh, is is the kind of thing that that will help all of us. Because I totally believe that 2008 could have been avoided if we'd have had more intelligent investors instead of lemmings that were all jumping into something that you know when it exploded didn't even know why the bomb was built. Exactly. Shannon, where can people connect with you or or hear more from you? Easiest way to find me is at shannonrobnet.com. All of my social handles are there. The Intelligent Investor is on YouTube, on Instagram, but uh, all of that's right at shannonrobnet.com. Perfect. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Shannon, thank you again for your time today and talking with me about not only building a resume, vetting sponsors, but also the current market and what you're seeing as we go forward to 2024. Hey, thank you, Trent, for having me again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.